0: Now it's your turn. What's alive for you with this conversation?
1: Well, I just saw an awesome movie that describes everything that you talk about in one plot. It's called The uh, Young Adult. Hmm. And it really, it's, it's great to watch as, as a study piece about unhappiness. And it's a story about a woman who has it all. She has a career. She has this great fancy apartment. She has all the toys that she can eat. She goes out lives a lifestyle that represents her wealth. And she's miserable. And she's going to go out and find her true love. Albeit that this man is already married and has just had a firstborn. But no, no, no. She's going to go out, seduce this guy, drag him back into her world, because that will make her happy. So she goes back to the town that she grew up in, and she goes through this whole just nightmare of a fiasco of, a, of, a of, of this plot in her head that she's going to fulfill. And yet, as she's doing all this, you see all these signs of, of a person who's just so miserable. And yet, in theory, she was a victim of success because in high school, she was the prettiest one, she was the most popular one. Everybody, all her little groupie friends wanted to adore her and be like her, etc. And so throughout her life, she believed that 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 was the pinnacle. That's what life's about being on kind of like like the social top order, and that that will bring you happiness. And as she lived her adult life and just couldn't figure out why that wasn't happening, she regressed to her, her, her teen years, so to speak, to say, okay. This is when I was remember being the happiest, so I'm going to go back and somehow pull pull this all back together into my present reality, and only to find herself even you know just going off the cliff and being more But that whole concept of desire, that whole concept of the, of the ego and the self the image of the identity that comes from an external stimuli and the development. It's I recommend it to everybody. It's 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 dark. It's it's cynical, but yet it's a great study piece of just everything they talk about. And it, and it just then you, you know, once the movie's over, you're just like, man, I just It's kind of like, I don't like watching borders or watching, uh, you know, people with, with, with these kind of uh, disabilities where they're just doing that, just finding a way to to hide their own pain. After that, you just can't wait to go out and just. Do something positive for yourself, because you know, the last thing you want to be is that person. Mm-hmm. And it makes you think about, okay, wow, how am I living my life? What are the things and choices I'm making? Or how do I want to go about and find true happiness mm-hmm. What it's to be a mm-hmm. And I, uh, I see it in the model. I and mean, definitely want to replicate.
0: Yeah, well for myself it's interesting because obviously, you know, I live a life of fairly few needs and, you know, I don't, have, I don't have a lot of toys, but I can also see that, you know, when I'm on the road a lot, you know, it's actually quite unsettling, you know, and I just long to come back and have a place that I can be for a while. And even though I don't have a huge amount of stuff, it's really comforting the stuff that I have, you know, that I know it, I know where it is, you know, I, I know how it works. And, and so on every level, no matter where we're at, you know, in terms of the spectrum of stuff, you know, I think it's useful to look at how we get identified with it and wrapped up into, you know, where the edges are. Now I don't think it means that we need to give it all away because I don't think that's the answer. I think the answer is how we're we relating to it, you know. But I did you know, the whole thing with the hermitage being in the evacuation zone you know, there was a moment when I felt just this incredible vulnerability that, you know, everything and all the efforts that everyone has made, you know, there, there was a possibility it's just going to go up in flames. But, you know, for me, the practice allowed me to stay with it and, you know, to touch the vulnerability of, you know, what would it be like to be totally homeless again? And so I stayed with it, and then it shifted. And then there was like, well, I've got my robes and my alms bowl. I've got the practice. You know, the people that I know, their friendships is not going to go up in flames, even if the house, the hermitage goes up in flames. It's like, I've got ground. You know, it's not something that I would want or want to ask for anybody. But it's like, this is something that, it wasn't so terrifying to me. And so then I realized, you know, I don't know what the universe has in store. You know, I don't know how this is going to go, but I'll be okay. You know, we'll be okay. And when I got there, then it was much more free. It was like, I wasn't like, you know, how is it going to go? But I, I was quite delighted when I found out that, you know, it's okay. Things are okay. What would you say about obsessive thoughts? What is a good way to with them? I think there's like many different ways of working with obsessive thoughts. One way of working with obsessive thoughts is change the frame of reference. So if the thought is a thought um, then about um, whatever, then bring your attention into your body of what's happening in your body when you're thinking that thought. So rather than loop with the thought, change the frame of reference into your body or look at the hindrance that the thought is connected with Look at the aggregates. Change the frame of reference so that you're not fixated on the on the looping pattern that's happening. Yeah. One thing with thoughts is to um, to ignore them. You know, this loops, and then put your attention somewhere else. Another thing with thoughts is to actually consider the um, that they're not doing you any good. So look at the nature of the thought itself and, and, and notice that there's nothing in this which is actually helpful. Yeah. And in doing that, that can lead to unfabricating the thoughts itself. Really go into the thought in a very uh, deep way and, and notice that it's, it's a composite of a, of a number of different things coming together so that it can unfabricate. There's another way with thoughts that one just absolutely refuses. It's not just one turns one's attention away. One, like, really sets up a, you know, it's like you've looked at it, you've examined it, you've been there, you've done there, you've gone through this at least 10 million times, you're not going there again. It's like, no. Yeah. But that's not helpful to do unless you have actually looked at what is actually needing acceptance. What is the underlying emotion here that is present? What is, what is this actually representing? Because sometimes these thoughts are, they manifest as an obsession, and what it is is just the tip of an iceberg of something which is actually quite unresolved. And that unresolved thing needs to be opened up to and uh, responded to and resolved. And something. I have known people who had obsessive thoughts that they let themselves run with it. Okay. So like an obsessive fantasy about sweets, for example. Menindraji, there's a story of Menindraji. He was um, Deepama's teacher. Menindraji had this obsession for Bengali sweets. And Bengali sweets, they are, they are so sweet. It's like they're just unbelievably sweet. So his mind was looping about Bengali sweets. And it was going on and on and on and on and on. And so he somehow got somebody to get him a pound of Bengali sweets. A pound of Bengali sweets is like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And mindfully ate the entire pound. And at the end of that, he never obsessed about Bengali sweets again. Or there was one story about a person who was on a retreat. And was obsessing about this fantasy that this woman was his his partner, his perfect soulmate. And so, after a certain point, he just let his mind run with the fantasy. And you know, and so you know, they had this courtship and this romance, and eventually they got together, and then they decided to get married. And they had a family, and the kids grew up, and then things grew a little bit difficult, and finally decided to get a divorce. <laughs> they got a divorce, and they're parenting the kids from two households. And Anyway, by the time the retreat finished, it was like he didn't even say hello to her. <laughs> yeah. So there's many things, but I think what's happening with obsessive thoughts, you know, for me, I, I need to look at what's not being accepted that tends to be the place that works the best for me. And sometimes, you know, there's a, it's sobering, because, you know, I know for myself that sometimes the obsessions with desire fantasies is because of an incredible fear of annihilation. And I just, you know, for whatever reason, there wasn't the resources to just touch that fear and stay present with it. And so the mind loops it's so great. It's so
2: great. I heard something that you were speaking it reminded me of, it. and I got one of those. I've heard that. When I didn't you They say that when I'm trying to even if it's in your own making,
3: or something, something happens. if they can get out
2: of the situation and out of it very quickly, then it's going this trench this the, the constant looping that's it's triggered. And I thought that was fascinating what where my mind was going is I wonder if that's true for the things you need to address, the consumer level the And so
3: I'll take the process. Well, I think, I
0: think, Martina, one of the things that comes with practice is it's a little bit like, you know, the sniffer dogs in the airport, you know, they've got their noses open and they just go for a beeline for the stuff that's not okay, whatever that is. And so with practice, we we have our senses open and we begin to get more sensitized to move in towards these things that are problematic. Whereas before, you know, the tendency would be to divert attention or to bring pleasure or to escape or to not want to know or any of those things. But, you know, my experience is, is that those things with the wrong attitude bring more suffering. They don't bring an ending of suffering. And so moving into the pain is a kind of suffering, but it's a kind of suffering that brings about the ending of the suffering rather than more suffering. And so I think one of the characteristics of practice is this ability to distinguish which kinds of suffering lead to more suffering and which kinds of suffering lead to the end of suffering. And a readiness, a willingness, a readiness to go for it with the kinds of suffering that lead to an end of suffering you know to grab the bull by the horns and to wrestle him, if that's what's needed in order to to move into a place of more inner peace and freedom.
2: And I guess one has to know that the pace I was thinking the longer that and I'm sure myself, the longer that looping goes on, um, I just see what I'm doing. Ditch deeper. <laughs> I don't want to do that. But yeah, you know, I'm going to pack them all up the next lecture.
0: What is your sense about all of this? How do you guys work with desire?
2: Well, I keep coming back to my desire to get things done. And I sometimes get myself into the trouble of bailing myself out. And so I have more things to do than, well, it's part of that looping thing where um, I I want to finish something and I know I've got a lot of things to do and so uh, I immediately gravitate towards the pleasure uh, I'll spend an hour or two on my my, uh, computer on Facebook or watching a movie I don't need to watch to avoid having to do my papers When I'm, when I'm seeking pleasurable activities, rather than doing what I know I should be doing, um, I know I'm doing it, it's, I'm very aware of it. You know, it's like, I live, you know. And, but for some reason I have a hard time breaking with that. You know. And then I find myself in the last uh, 10 papers to write. You know. And then I have no choice but to do it. And then I'm miserable. I get all my misery in one big chunk you know? <laughs> so, I, I don't know, I'm still working on uh, that, trying to figure out that would take me.
0: Procrastination is an interesting looping mechanism that um, causes stress.
2: As you were mm-hmm. I realized once again that a lot of things that whether it's paperwork or the hardest part is to get started is to actually step over the direction where I'm going to get those goals and help everybody else. And that's that's like never mind how you visualize it. There's this this huge barrier sometimes kind of unseen
0: but the emotions are what I describe. And they're usually I, I think they are fear based on the bottom. You know, I just I'm in the middle I, I'm gonna send it off this evening when this group finishes, but I'm in the middle of writing an article that'll be published in a journal. And it was like pulling teeth. I mean it was such a hard thing for me to write. It was so difficult. Now, part of it was because my brain was operating on a quarter cylinder, okay, and part of it was because all of the kinds of things that needed in order to come into place before my brains were actually functioning better was was actually taking a lot of my time. So I was trying to pull this thing together with ideas and stuff, but I actually didn't have the, I didn't have it to do it, you know. And so I, I, I knew that it was gonna need to be happening, but I was, my, you know, I was navigating a lot. But there's something also that happens which is quite interesting, which is, it's not an avoidance, but it's kind of like a reality check. If I attend to the things that need to happen first, like if I'm exhausted and I rest, then when I wake up the next morning and I'm fresh, I can do things in a really small fraction of the time. And if I try and push myself through when I don't have it. And like when my brains check out, I'm, I'm virtually useless, you know, it can take me... 15 times the amount of energy and time to do something that if I'm actually feeling alright, I can manage. So, it's not, that's not procrastination, but it's like my capacity is variable and I have to be um, attuned to, to, to what I'm up for and not give myself a hard time if it's not looking like the idea I had of how it's supposed to look. Yeah. So, you know, there's been plenty of times when I've been traveling and I didn't have it to pack the night before. I just absolutely did not have it to pack the night before. So, I got to sleep early, had a good rest, woke up in the morning and I was fresh and bright and everything came together and I did what I needed to do. And so, you know, but that's different. That's not the same as procrastination. That's more, that's a different thing. But it's for a long time it was hard for me to do that because it didn't fit my idea of what it, I was supposed to be doing. You know, I'm supposed to pack the day before. I'm supposed to write the article a month before. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to. And it's like, I can't. You know, I'm not up for it. So. I
1: think there's also this aspect of, if, if I had this thing, then I can accomplish a real simple examples like my upstairs we have it's just organized bedroom. There's just piles of clothes. And there's this idea when me and Joe talk about oh well as soon as we get some IKEA organizers, you know, everything will be okay. Everything will be in its order. And I'm pretty sure we can find a thousand more in similar Metaphors. You know, if if I have this experience, if I have this object, if I have this name, then I can do X thing, and everything will be alright. And then me and her realized, well, there's nothing stopping us from just actually folding the clothes, stack them in a corner. Yes, we don't have the organizers. Yes, it's not going to look posh or whatever it is that, we, that fantasy we told ourselves. And I think a lot of times we get stuck with what we, like you're talking about, the idea of what we want it to be, as opposed to just doing what you have and realizing that that in itself would be very rewarding. Mm-hmm. That, that this idea that if you have X object, X training, mm-hmm. X education, X experience, X connection, X well, blah, 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 then that for that will lead you to the path. Mm-hmm. It's like, just do. And you'd be surprised how satisfied you would be mm-hmm. by just getting something back mm-hmm. as opposed to the prescribed idea that is what it should be. I find myself looking to apply that more in my life, as opposed to just waiting for it to happen. You know, one day it will
2: come together. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I notice that happens a lot for me because you know I I don't go shopping. I don't have the money, and I don't go shopping. And so, when I need stuff, it's curious because I don't have a mechanism to go to the store and get it myself. And in this situation, and now especially with Scott heading off to Santa Fe, I'm very cautious. I don't want to put it all on Darcy because it's going to be too much for her. So I hold back, and I don't. I don't. I will wait until somebody other than Darcy maybe asks if I need anything before I I I, I get it but there's also a whole interesting thing in my own head about about what I can make do with the stuff that's already here, you know? Or the way there's a sense of agitation around, whatever, you know. And there's there's a lot that can happen just with what what's here, what's available. And and so it's it's just it's an, it never ceases to amaze me how um, how much the world that I create is dependent on on me, not on the externals. And I think if there's anything about the life that I lead that is really, really, really um, important to me, it's that this life brings that home again and again and again and again and again. It's so interesting that my life is so dependent on others, and yet I totally get it that the world that I create is entirely dependent on my own fabrications, you know? How I hold things. Because, you know, when I was living here before, you know, I was stressed about this, and stressed about that, and stressed about this, and stressed about that. I was you know, no, I can't, you know, it's like, and then I left, and I traveled around different places, and I came back, and this is perfect. (laughs) Nothing's shifted in the circumstances. my perspective shifted, because I've been around and seen different things, and something inside of me shifted, and all the rest. I thought, this is exactly where I need to be right now. Yeah. So it's fascinating the way this all works.
3: Mm-hmm. So right now, all of my stuff is in boxes. Um, and it's, it's unsettling, but, um, but last night, so I've got two apartments at the moment. All of my stuff is in this apartment, but I was eating dinner in this apartment. And, um, and then got to carryout, and normally they give you utensils to go carry out, mm. but there was nothing. And it was noodles. And so, yeah, exactly. So I thought, well, I could use a screwdriver, but <laughs> that was really, <laughs> that was all I had.
2: Tools exactly. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but I mean, all I had to do was get the food into my mouth, and I was alone, <laughs> so it didn't have to be pretty. And so, yeah, I mean, I used my hands, and it was fine. You know, it's like, you really need very little, mm-hmm. and I mean, I've, you know, having carried all of my stuff, you know, it does make me wonder, like, why do I have all this? Mm-hmm. And even though I went through it kind of before, you know, just going through everything and deciding, okay, do I need this still, or can I let it go? And I did, you know, I got rid of some stuff, but still, a lot of carry. carried it. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, in Asia, that's all they do is eat with their hands.
3: Yeah, you know. right. <laughs> they don't have
0: silverware. Yeah. You know.
3: Yes, yeah, so maybe give the original silverware. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. It's chopping, and you make it through the whole, the whole meal without using any utensils or anything.
1: Yeah. And You see the, the practicality, chopping. Yeah, exactly. And then you just kind of whittle two branches from outside. You
0: Yeah, the, you know, so I was dealing with the formaldehyde thing and I hadn't figured out about the fans in certain windows and all the rest of that, so my strategy was to be out of the hermitage. So, you know, it's hot during the day. So um, I got back Friday night late and I knew I was tired. I didn't sleep very well, so I knew I was going to need a rest and I wanted to be in a cool place. So I ended up, I ended up in this kind of tiny... It was on the cliff... This tiny little place that was all rocky and uneven and totally bumpy, and it was tiny, and that was going to be my nap place because it was a cool place, and I, it was so interesting to me. It was so perfect. <laughs> it was so perfect. It was like all I needed was a cool place in the shade that was even enough that I could lie down, flat enough that I could lie down without actually risking falling down, and that and that and that it was so perfect to just be able to have a nap there. It was great, you know, and so it, you know, it really does make you think about how it's got to be like this, and it's got to be like that, it's got to be like this, it's got to be like that. Can't possibly be like that. And it's like, you know, it's, it's just here. That's all it is. It's just our, it's our idea, you know. There's all kinds of things it can make. So, well, shall we wrap up this discussion?